BloggingTheRedSox.com podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Campbell. And today, making his long-awaited, highly anticipated Potting the Red Sox debut, I'm happy to be joined by Red Sox beat writer, Chris Cotillo of MassLive.com. Chris, thank you for joining me today. How's it been covering spring training from your couch? And do you have any plans on hanging down to Fort Myers this month? No, it's a little bit different. You know, it's a, it's uh, it's actually... I just went out and got food and it was like 50, 55, which is, uh, makes it a little bit more tolerable, but tolerable being up here. But as someone who just took up golf last summer and last fall, I was looking forward to being in Fort Myers and kind of doing what, trying to do what the players do, albeit at uh, much cheaper courses of, you know, working in the morning and playing golf in the afternoon, especially during the workout portion before the games, but that did not come to fruition. So that's a little disappointing, but, but there are some, you know, some good parts of it too, not being stuck on Daniel's Parkway for, you know, an hour in traffic every day and, and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, that's big. So um, over the weekend, this past Friday, to be more specific, Chris made 10 predictions for the Red Sox's 2021 season. It's weekly. They're all going to be wrong. What's that? They're all going to be wrong. So oh, okay. I'm waiting for it. Yeah, I was going to say, these predictions range from very bold to not too bold. Uh, so you just want to, like, do a rundown each of each of them? Sure. All right. So your first one was Danny Santana, recently signed utility man makes the team uh does that prediction change now that he might not be ready for the start of the season yeah you know um yeah i think if he if he is healthy and if he's deemed fully ready to go i think he makes it just because he makes a lot more sense as a left-handed bat you know than than arroyo or chavers or some of those other guys so um that's kind of my take there but if, if his elbow's acting up and he's not ready then i think arroyo is probably the guy that's likely to get it with uh munoz and chavis starting in triple a that would be my guess, yeah, for sure. Uh, Munoz has been great in camp, but he's he's uh, up against it, considering you know he's off the forty man, and you know they they can send him, they can send both him and Chavis to AAA without risking losing them. And Arroyo and uh, Santana, they uh, are both, you know, I think Santana has an early opt out, and Arroyo has is out of options, so it makes things a little easier for them. Do you think it was strange to see Munoz get outrighted off the forty man entirely without going to another club over the winter? Yeah, I do. I, uh, you know, he played well, obviously I think people are a little, uh, worried about his health. You know, he dealt with some injury at the end of last year. Um, and I think generally you didn't see teams, you know, make that many, uh, waiver claims. A lot of guys seem to pass through this winter for whatever reason, whether, you know, teams are keeping those spots open for bigger fish free agents or whatever. And I also think, you know, teams might shy away from him because he did, you know, leave the Cardinals in the spring training a year ago and think that that is something that uh, teams want to risk having happen. The Red Sox were obviously comfortable enough bringing him in, but he's still talented, 26. You know, it was obviously a unique situation. You don't usually see a guy uh, quit in the middle of camp, but it worked out for the Red Sox, and now it gives him some more depth uh, in a lot of positions. And speaking of depth, Terry Santana, some someone who played everywhere with Texas. So where would you envision him seeing most of his playing time with the Red Sox? Yeah, I think, you know, he's he's a guy that is going to be all over, just like Marwin, just like Kike, and, you know, a, a left-handed bench bat. You know, I assume Marwin would get close to everyday playing time, same with Kike, basically Kike at second base and Santana, just as you're filling off the bench. But, um, you know, has played a lot of places in his career and had a good year two years ago. So uh, for what they gave, what they had to give him, which was a minor league deal, not a bad deal at all for them. And you mentioned Marwin playing almost every day. Would you envision that coming in left field, especially if Frenchy Cordero is not going to be ready to go right away? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, if 
if Franchi's not available, he he might be in left, or you know they could theoretically move Renfro over. Um, you know, Kike can also play the outfield, and, and then opens up second for you know Arroyo or whoever it is at that spot. So you know these guys are are all so versatile. It's you know we keep asking Core how he envisions them and where he envisions them playing, and it is literally just every day it's going to be a different a different mix. You know, for me, I think Marwin's going to platoon with Dahlbeck at first. He's going to platoon with uh, Renfro and right and Cordero and left. And if any of those guys are out, which it looks like Cordero might miss the beginning of the season because he's still on the COVID list, um, then obviously left makes a lot of sense. But I expect Marwin to, to play a lot more than, you know, your average uh, $3 million utility man. I think he's going to get a lot of at-bats. Uh, Kike, obviously, uh, the deal he signed kind of makes it seem like he's going to be a starter at second. Uh, he said that a bunch of times. So, you know, you think utility men, you think these guys are just bench options, and but they're not. They're they're both going to be starters for this team. They just happen to play a lot of different positions. All right, moving on to your second prediction. Eduardo <clears throat> Rodriguez throws more than 170 innings. He looked pretty decent in his spring debut the yeah. other day. Uh, what did Cora make of that? You know, I, I think that, that prediction is uh, uh, maybe one of the bolder ones that you're referencing, but I think, you know, we don't know. We just, you know, people assume that, you know, he can't go 150, 160, 170 because of the hard thing. But if he's completely good to go and there's nothing stopping him, you know, this, this could work in his favor. You know, we don't know about these, uh, these reduced workloads. I think we're going to see some guys getting hurt just because of the start, start and stop and how weird all that stuff was. But, you know, sometimes for these guys, it's going to help them being, you know, down for a year, letting their body and letting certain, um, you know, letting their arms recover. So uh, until we know, I think I'm not going to put any limits on Rodriguez. He did look really good in his first outing. You know, we got another one obviously coming up this week. Where he'll be stretched out to four. I expect him to pitch opening day for the Red Sox. And uh, if he stays healthy, you know, I don't think they're, you know, they're going to hold him back and have him go four or five innings to start or skip him in the rotation or stuff like that. They have the flexibility to do that with some of the arms they brought in, but if he's full go, they're going to keep going with him. We've seen that so far in camp. With no, um, like training wheels or anything like that, full go. Yeah, I mean that's that's what they're doing. He was, you know, the first starter in the whole, of the five to go three innings. Uh, the rest of them were only going two. So, you know, to me, it just shows that that they're they're uh, as long as he's hitting every checkpoint, as, as long as he's feeling good, that they're going to go go for it and. Um, you know, not push him per se, but not hold him back. And speaking of left-handed pitchers who didn't pitch at all last year, your mm-hmm. third prediction was about Chris Sale, not appearing in major league game until August. So do you think there's a scenario where he doesn't pitch at all this year if they're out of play playoff contention by like July or August? I, I don't really buy that one because it, it's not like, you know, it's a service time situation, obviously. And like, if he's ready and, and feels good to go, there's no harm of getting him in games and, and you're getting him over that milestone. And at least, you know, even if they're meaningless September games, you know, having him go an inning in a major league game or two innings or whatever. I mean, it, there's not, there's no harm to that. So I would doubt that we, we, you know, won't see him for the entire year, but you know, the point I made in the column was that you know, he was supposed to be throwing off a mound in January, a couple setbacks, the next stiffness, and then the um, bout with COVID and, here we are uh, in mid-March now, and he still has not gotten to that point. So, you know, I think it's definitely taking a little bit longer than he would have hoped. Um, you know, so far the Red Sox have said, yeah, well, we'll see him at some point in the middle of the summer. I think it'll be a little bit later than as I wrote. If they are competitive, do you think there's a scenario where they bring him back as a reliever, like Chris, uh, David Price in 2017? I think it's possible for sure. I don't think we can rule, you know, anything out. 
you know, he's a very expensive reliever at that point. But, you know, I guess at that point in the year, it doesn't really matter. You know, I, I have, you know, kind of foreshadowing a, a, a later prediction about you know, one of the veteran starters becoming a high impact reliever. I, I tend to think, you know, whoever's struggling out of the, the main group would probably give their spot up to sale and become a reliever. But you never know. Okay, moving to the bullpen. Uh, your fourth prediction was Adam Adovino, not Matt Barnes, will lead the Red Sox in saves this year. So I was wondering if you think there's any chance the Red Sox and Alex Gore are going to the air without naming a set closer. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to name somebody, and, and most likely it's going to be one of those two guys. I think two guys on the outskirts, they, they already ruled out Salamara. So two guys on the outskirts as of a couple of weeks ago were, were Darwinson, uh, Hernandez, and and uh, Ryan Brazier. It looks like Brazier's behind so because um, he missed some of camp due to personal reasons. So I, it's not going to be him. So I really think, you know, there's a 99% chance they'll name either Adovino or Barnes as the closer. And I think a lot of people think Barnes is the favorite. To me, I think it's a little bit more of an open race than that. And I wouldn't be surprised, as I wrote, that Adovino leads them by the end of the year. But you know, Alex Cora doesn't like that bullpen by committee anymore because it burned them so badly in 2019. He loved that idea then. It didn't work out. Um, everybody was overworked, especially Matt Barnes. And, you know, in his return, he's vowed to have a structured bullpen like, you know, they did at the end of that year, I think. Um, we've seen, you know, the Red Sox bullpen, there's a lot of, you know, pieces in the last couple of years that have actually performed pretty well. And in an ideal world with you know, Darwinson and Josh Taylor there in the back end with Salamara, Brazier, Barnes, and Ottavino, it's, it's really not that bad of a group. So um, if Cora gets them in roles and, and gives them structure, um, I think they can be pretty successful. Do you buy into the belief at all that Barnes is maybe better suited for a setup role as opposed to being the ninth inning guy, or do you not think it matters? I think he is, uh, you know, I just, uh, he's, that's where he's been the best in the past. And obviously, you know, they're not going to make well, Barnes a closer over Craig Kimbrell, but you know, they, they it, it says a lot that, you know, by after, you know, Matt Barnes was thought of the, the heir apparent, if they thought he was a perfect, perfectly suited for the ninth inning, they wouldn't have tried that, you know, uh, elite leverage reliever thing in 2019. They just would have done the traditional structured roles. And, you know, I think they kind of overthought it. And then Brandon Workman emerged and, you know, Brandon Workman was your closer heading into 2020 and Barnes wasn't even considered obviously after the year Workman had, and then, you know, Barnes get his chance at the end of the year. But, you know, I personally think Barnes in the eighth out of, you know, in the ninth makes a little bit more sense. I could see it going either way. Mentioned Workman. Do you think there's any chance they would have brought him back if say he was only fielding minor league offers? Definitely. And I think, you know, even the deal he got, which I think was like a million guaranteed, you know, I think that's a good deal for the Cubs. A lot of people on Philly in Philly gave me crap on Twitter for that because they saw how he pitched last year. But, you know, a guy that I talk about how much money he, he lost. It's unbelievable between, you know, last winter and this winter. You'd be, I don't know if you'd be looking at a Liam Hendricks type deal, but you'd be looking at a multi-year, um, you know, probably eight, nine, ten million dollars a year. And that that obviously was not the case after the year he had, especially down the stretch in Philly. Moving on to your fifth prediction, Bobby Dahlbeck being a top five vote getter for AL Rookie of the Year. Um, is there any concern that Dahlbeck may regress this year like Michael Chavis did in late 2019 and all of 2020? Yeah, there's always that concern. You know, I think there's there's comps there, but I also think Dahlbeck overall is, is a better player than, than Chavis. Um, I think the organization believes that too. You know, but uh, the Red Sox are counting on him doing what he's done at every level, which is making adjustments after seeing that pitching at that level for the first time, striking out less and, and getting the barrel on the ball. And so far in camp, you know, I know it's the first week of spring. We can't take too much out of it, but he's looked good. Uh, he's going to get a chance. You know, Marwin's going to get us, uh, some time to play first, but 
you know, generally Dahlbeck's going to be in there every day and he'll get a chance to really put a stronghold in that position. If he does, you know, I could see, you know, the American League Rookie of the Year voters looking at his line at the end of the year. And, you know, let's say it's 250 or 260 with 35, 40 bombs. It's going to be hard not to put that guy in the top five. So I'm not saying he'll win it. You know, as I wrote, you know, there's a couple other big candidates there with, you know, Mount Castle and a Rosarena and a couple others I'm forgetting, but, you know, I wouldn't count them out. And um, I mean, it's obviously important to have his bat in the lineup every day, but do you think it's almost a waste to have him starting at first, given how he came up as a third baseman and his like arm strength? I think they're just committed to Devers there. And I wouldn't be shocked if they ever, if they switched him at some point, but at this point, you know, they still think Devers and has the ceiling to still be a good, you know, third baseman. We saw that long stretch in 2019 where he was lights out. And, you know, obviously the Red Sox are hoping he gets back to that. So on that note, would there be any chance they'd float Dahl back in trade talks if he does like kind of uh, sputter out this year? Because I mean, like I've read before, like power hitting first baseman aren't too hard to come by. Yeah. You know, I think, and obviously he's got, you know, pending, you know, whatever has been going on the last couple of weeks, which seems like it's all right. But, you know, Tristan Casas is the guy of the future at that position. You know, I think in a perfect world, the Red Sox, you know, because in a perfect world, you're always trying to develop your homegrown talent and have those guys be stars and have as many of those guys be, you know, $600,000 a year as you can. In a perfect world, it's, you know, Devers at DH, Dahlbeck at third, and Cassis at first base in the long term after JD, you know, moves on, which he says he wants to keep playing and, you know, he, he might want to stay in Boston for a while. So that's one obstacle. And if he bounces back in a big way this year, they'd be happy to have him, obviously. So not kicking him out prematurely, but. Um, I think that's the goal, but, you know, at a certain point you get crowded and you can deal from depth and, you know, it's always good to, to float positions. You're, you have uh, some depth at in order to get a pitcher, which no team has enough depth there. So as we've seen, uh, so, so who knows, but it's tough because if he performs well then his trade value is high, but then you want to keep him, And then if he doesn't perform well, then trade value is low and you're not going to get anything for him. So it's uh it's like what we've seen with Chavis. I mean, there's there's virtually no trade value there. If there was, you probably wouldn't be on the roster anymore. I was going to talk to you about Jaron Duran next, but I actually had a question about Chavis because yeah. last offseason, I thought he was supposed to play in Puerto Rico, but that never happened. Uh, do you know anything about that? I don't know anything about that. I would assume that it was because he was hurt still because he, he suffered a, an AC joint injury. And or was, he, was he supposed to play in between 20 and 21? Uh, no, 19 and 20. Uh, 19 and 20, yeah. So that, that is when he was hurt. So he got hurt in August and, you know, was, was hurt the whole year. And they don't push guys to winter ball if, they, if they're hurt like that. Why, do you have some conspiracy theory or something? Uh, no, I was just going to talk to you about Jaron Duran next. And, you know. <laughs> oh, that's a good segue. Here you go. Yeah. Well, I find Jaron Duran pretty interesting because, I mean, your prediction was he won't make his, uh, he'll make his debut by the All-Star break. Mm-hmm. But I think it's interesting because usually when you hear about top pro- prospects performing well at camp, You'll hear about how the teams want to send them down to work on their defense when in reality right. it's just for service time manipulation. But like in yeah. Durant's case, that would be like legitimate reason to send them down. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and Duran, as much as we talk about him, as much as he's, you know, been around and he had a great camp last year, he was a star of the alternate site and he was a star in Puerto Rico in the Caribbean series. And then, you know, he's been a star early in camp, like he's checking every box, but at the same time, he only has, you know, I think it's like 80 games at double A, you know, and he, he wasn't particularly uh, amazing there. I know he got better at the end, but compared to what he was doing at Salem that year, where he's sitting like 400, you know, it, it, there was still adjustments to be made. So, you know, I would guess that he will you know start the year in triple A and it could be a quick riser, but 
Heim Bloom's not the type of guy that's going to promote from double A to the majors pretty much ever. I still think he needs some, some, um, some work in the minors. And, um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, if he, if he continues at this pace and, you know, continues checking boxes, they're going to call him up pretty early. And, and like I said, in the column, um, by the all-star break makes some sense. And, and that could forge out, it says, um, you know, that, that could force out obviously the, somebody like Renfro or Cordero. If, yeah. Well, Marcus Wilson for sure, but Renfro or Cordero, if they're not, you know, performing at that point. How do you think the alternate site in Worcester will compare to that in Pawtucket? Like will not be taken as seriously because as a season expected to happen or. I think it'll be much different. I think it'll be, you know, not your, you know, some of your top prospects, it'll be the guys who are going to be on the Worcester Red Sox. That's going to be a lot of, you know, veterans and, and guys like that. You know, the Daniel Gossett, Matt Carasidi types. So it's going to be the guys that are going to be breaking breaking that camp with Worcester at the end of April. So then on that note, what will guys like Nick York be doing from the beginning of April until May, just hanging out in Fort Myers? I guess, I guess so. You know, they're going to have a lot of opportunities. I think they're going to be able to play you know, spring training games against other teams there. So, you know, the Red Sox are going to have, have their work cut out just like every team does and figure out where they're going to assign these guys. And so, you know, we'll see. I, I think that, you know, you probably won't see guys like York or those lower level guys uh, in Pawtucket or in, <laughs> Jesus already in Worcester um, to start, but you know, they're, they're still far away and, but it's been good, you know, for them to get exposure. They, they've gotten more guys like Nick York have, you know, especially him, but gotten more exposure to the major league, everything than than basically any first round pick or an 18 year old first round pick ever you know like the alternate site spent two weeks there and there's a lot of triple a type players even at the fall instructs and now big league camp like he's he's kind of uh, on an advanced track already so that's pretty pretty cool to say saying he's on advanced track you wouldn't see him skipping any levels to get to the majors it's way too early for that. He's, you know, he's would be a freshman in college right now. So, you know, those high school kids take a long time to develop, but you know, if he, if he starts you know, performing well, when he actually gets into games and then it's clear that these experiences helped him out in that regard, then he could be, you know, a quicker riser than your normal, you know, five, six year uh, high school draft pick because just of the, the kind of the crash course he's gotten. And I guess that's a rare pandemic benefit. I'm uh, trying to pitching staff. Now your seventh prediction, with about a rule five pick Garrett Whitlock lasting the entire season on the major league roster. Man, my question was how much more difficult do you think it'll be to keep Whitlock up all season this year compared to Arawu's last year? Um, well, two extra roster spots obviously helped them out that they you know got to work with last year, but they're still working with 26 compared to 25, which they've always been working with. So I think that helps. And there's no limit on how many pitchers you can take, which that was going to be a rule that would have helped things. That would have hurt things too. You know, he's kind of a perfect guy for how the season's going to unfold. You know, you're assuming there's going to be some wonky scheduling stuff with COVID, so you're going to have to play doubleheaders. And, you know, you'll see Matt Andrees and Garrett Whitlock and, and making starts in those doubleheaders. Or um, if it's an opener day, they'll be the bulk guys behind them. You know, like those guys are going to be super valuable in those roles. Um, you know, Alex Cora always referred to Brian Johnson and Hector Velasquez probably over 100 times as the real MVPs of the 2018 team. So I'm waiting for you know, the, uh, I'm waiting for him to start doing that this year once they start pitching well, but I, I think they'll do everything in their power to, to keep them just because keep Whitlock, just because, you know, if you do, you keep them all year, you all of a sudden have a young, 
uh, you know, 24, 25 year old starting pitcher um, who you can have and start him. You can have him at AAA next year if you want. You can have him, um, you know, as part of the major league picture. And, you know, when they talk about, you know, these young and controllable guys, they talk about, you know, how Pavetta, Mata, pre injury, um, the guys you talk about. And then, all, and then they have Whitlock in that mix too. So they're very high on him. I think it would be an absolute shock if he doesn't break camp with the team he's going to. And they're going to do everything in their power to keep him. Uh, how was it talking to him for your podcast like last week? It's good. He's very, uh, he's quiet and uh, very humble, um, you know, going into camp and trying to soak up as much as possible. So it was, it was, it was good. You know, I've talked to him for a story when he first got picked up and now that, man, he's an impressive guy. And I, I am, I know why the Red Sox, uh, you know, like him as a person and, you know, from his outing so far, it looks like he, he belongs. So uh Again, grain of salt. Everything's a grain of salt this early in camp, but uh, so far so good for him. And you mentioned if they keep him up all year, they have the ability to send him down next year. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of curious, like if they're making these additions in the Rule Five draft, are they doing it for their major league roster or just to bolster their minor league system? Because it looks like Aruz is going to start the year in AAA or AA. Yeah, well, Aruz is you know it's just completely lost lost in in the shuffle between. Marwin, Kike, Danny Santana, Arroyo, Chavis, Munoz, he's about seventh on that list. And that's not an indictment on him. You know, he actually held his own for a, a good bit of last year, as you know, and, and was there for as a, I think, 22-year-old and, you know, actually played pretty well. And, um, you know, I think, you know, as it, the, the end of the year numbers weren't as, you know, as impressive as I think he looks for, for the beginning of it. But, you know, he still needs some seasoning and he's a guy that they definitely could see being a long-term part of their future. I mean, it's a, it's a uh, prospect, you know, it's, it, you don't think of it that way just because, you know, you have had him in the majors for a year. You don't think he's a prospect, but he really is. Is there any risk of him losing his 40 man spot if the occasion arises where they need one? They just, they just kept him on the active roster for, uh, not that they had that many good players, but they kept him on the active roster, uh, come hell or high water to keep him in the organization. I don't think they risk that. There's still other guys. I mean, you know, they're still there. First of all, they don't really have many holes where they need to add to the 40 man roster at this point. There's no prospects, uh, you know, obviously Duran's a different story, but that's not going to be happening immediately. There's, you know, Danny Santana would be the only guy and that's, that's, you know, would probably be the direct Arroyo or uh, Arroyo move. Marcus Wilson, as you mentioned before, still on there. And John Schreiber, who is pitching today, I think the guy they just claimed off waivers. So um, they can only DFA Joel Pyamp so many times. So uh, that's, they, they, I'm sure he'll be back in camp in a couple of weeks and they'll DFA him again. But yeah, there's, there's still some moves to be made after they've done about 20 of them so far. Have you ever seen something like that with Pyamps where he's just between Toronto and Boston on multiple occasions? Uh, I think there are some examples in the past. I don't, not any with the Red Sox since I've been on the beat, but you know, he's, it's already, it's been, you know, Arizona, Boston, Toronto, Boston, Toronto. So uh, the Blue Jays try to sneak him through. There's nothing stopping the Red Sox from trying to do it again. So, you know, he's getting, he's picking up those miles and it's going to be even more unsettling. I I don't know what the intake process is like, but that's going to be on the human side, a real pain to like have to do the intake process arriving at camp every couple of weeks uh, with a new team. So yeah, that's not an enviable position, but it's uh, he's in the majors. So there's worse places he could be. Well, yeah. And at least least he's not going Florida, Arizona. That would be horrible. Yeah. On Instagram, I believe his Instagram bio at one point was Red Sox pitcher. Now it's just at MLB pitcher. So (laughs) yeah 
he knows he, he's, he's not going to be able to, you know, I mean, how do you even like house hunt or apartment hunt at that point? Just wait to see where you are in April. Speaking of pitching, your eighth prediction was a veteran starter, not Tanner Houck becomes a high impact reliever down the stretch. Yeah. So, uh, I think that that's, that's basically, you know, just, just more on they've done it so many times, whether it's Barnes or Darwinson or whoever, you know, trying to get these homegrown pitching prospects into the majors as quickly as possible and putting them in the bullpen. They can't keep doing that. So um, they want to have help be a starter. And if he's pitching well and he's ready to come up, then it's going to be somebody else. Um, you know, you mentioned the sale idea, maybe later in the year. I think Garrett Richards is a guy that could happen to the stuff might play as a quick short inning reliever. You know, Pavetta doesn't want to relieve obviously, but uh, being a reliever in the major league bullpen is better than, you know, being DFA'd or um, being in the minors. So he knows that, you know, I don't think they're going to try it with Savaldi again and, or Martin Perez or definitely not Erod. So I guess if it were to happen, it would be Richards. And, but I just don't, I don't see how pitching in, in the bullpen at all. I just don't think they don't, they, I, they don't want to do that. I know for a fact this is development. Well, Cora mentioned this spring, right? That like what he did with Eovaldi in 19 was kind of a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. But that was one out of necessity. You know, the way they handled the bullpen, they just think it was a snowball effect and they're trying to overcompensate at every turn and it didn't work out. So, you know, they're going to try to be more careful and that's why they're doing the set roles. That's why they, you know, added a lot of depth. And, you know, I think even when you look at the bullpen picture, you think of the guys that, you know, even like a guy like Phillips Valdez, who was like lights out for most of the last year, is not even, you know, not even on my roster projection. So that goes to show you how much depth they've accumulated. And and also a guy like Ryan Weber, who's the third starter last year, is now like 10th or 11th on the list. So it's uh, it happened quickly, but they did a pretty good job of that. And uh, they're well protected in case, you know, disaster hits again. Uh, I liked Ryan Weber as a reliever last year. So there's that. Yeah, he was he, I mean, he couldn't have been worse as a starter. So, you know, he actually showed them something as a reliever, but Still, on the outside looking at this uh, pretty crowded roster picture at this point. And you mentioned Garrett Richards potentially moving to the bullpen. Uh, what have you made of his spring training struggles so far? And is it like a lot to buy into or is it just like brush it off? No, it's uh, been the – it's been, you know, overreaction city, I think, from people in the last few days about him. But it's two spring training starts and, you know, he's not hurt. That's the best thing they can ask for from him. So – Wait until we'll have, we'll have this conversation on May 1st to see if he's, you know, a bust or not. And, and unfortunately for him, and we've seen this in the papers the last few days, but he's going to be compared to all the other free agents that the Red Sox were interested in. And if they have better years, then, you know, it's going to look bad. But I think people need to remember the, the players pick where they play. It's not all about, um, you know, it's not necessarily that apples to apples comparison. Uh, they were in on Kluber. They made an offer to Kluber. He picked the Yankees. They were in on Morton. They made an offer to Morton, a very generous one. And he picked Atlanta. That could be said for, you know, a billion different guys. I don't know about Odorizzi or I don't know about, you know, whether what happened with Rich Hill or if they actually offered those guys. But I know for a fact Kluber and Morton were offered and they chose to go elsewhere. Richard was offered and he chose to come to Boston. So that that's, uh, you know, I think there's been a lot of a lot written about that type of stuff already, a lot talked about on sports radio already. Um, and I, I just want to want to wait on him. I'm not some super Garrett Richards defender or anything, but let's pump the brakes a little bit and see what he actually looks like in April. He's getting how much this year? Ten million. Yeah, with the option for next year. So there's some flexibility in that deal. Is that really an overpay for a starting pitcher though, in a one-year deal? So it's the going rate. I mean, teams were having trouble predicting 
you know, if they could have signed Odorizzi for that, I'm sure they would have done it. He wasn't taking it at that point. And I know his deal was all sorts of creative with the Astros. So, you know, I, I don't think the they it's fair to, you know, know exactly what what he was looking for or the Red Sox were talking to him um, or Rich Hill or some of these other guys. But, you know, the, the Red Sox clearly, you know, Richards, it's not like they were the only team in on him. You know, I know there wasn't a lot of talk about him, but they that's just probably more a product of people not leaking than they're not being interested. So. I don't know. I thought it was a fine deal at the time, you know, compared to Kluber. You know, I, I tweeted this at the time. People, you know, talked about Garrett Richards being a big risk, but they were they were very nervous about um, the Garrett Richards signing. Like, uh, or, you know, Kluber, they didn't think was, was risky all of a sudden. So, I don't know. I, I was jumbling my words, but you know what I mean. There's, <laughs> there's a, it's, that was, that was a frustrating piece of the offseason, as, as were many. Uh, were you surprised the Red Sox weren't in on Odorizzi given the Tampa connections and like the linkage all off season? I'm sure they were, but you know, with these things, there's often more than meet the, what meets the eye. And, you know, the Astros found a way to get a pretty good pitcher on a solid deal. I don't think it's, I just don't think it's, it's as simple as, you know, Richards got 10 million and Odorizzi got, you know, basically two for 24 or something like that. And like, Oh, that deal would have been a lot better because that's not what he was asking. I'm sure that's not what he was asking for in January when the Red Sox got their deal done with Richards. I mean, I'm sure that these guys, you know, they ask, they start the winter asking high and they keep dropping it down. And then it's no team is willing to bite. I mean, there's only, you know, at maximum 30 suitors. And then there's really only probably five or six teams actually pursuing a team, a guy. So, you know, when you look back and you look at, okay, well, Rich Hill got what, 3 million or whatever he did compared to Richard's 10. Like that looks like you probably might rather have Rich Hill at three, but maybe Rich Hill is asking for something in the same range. We just don't know. So the, the timing of it, it plays a big role. And you look at some of the deals that got done early and <laughs> there a, a lot of pitchers got really overpaid. Well, I'm sure you listened to Jackie Bradley Jr. yesterday, but he was talking about how he knows a bunch of guys right now, veteran free agents who could help teams that are still looking for jobs. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, you know, he's, you know, Jackie actually said he enjoyed the process. So, um, you know, I don't know why, but, you know, his deal, like, that's not what he was asking for when the Red Sox probably were trying to fill their outfield. You know, like, it's just, that's just not the case. Um you know, I, I think if you had told the Red Sox that the, in November on November 1st, Jackie will do one year for 13 with an $11 million option, they probably would have done it. Um, but things change. And they decided when they wanted to trade Benintendi that they were going to get Cordero back um, and then sign Marlon. And that's how they want to do their outfield. And obviously they signed Renfro. So, you know, the, the, the players, uh, obviously, I think the teams are, you know, not offering good, good deals in a lot of cases early in the year and, and the players are suffering. And then it in turn makes the teams look bad because it looks like they didn't sign guys to deals that would have been, you know, palatable for them. So it's kind of a vicious cycle in that way. But, you know, Bradley, uh, you know, for, for Jackie's sake, because I enjoy covering him and enjoy watching him, you know, hope he has a good year and he can opt out and bounce back and get a big deal that he was looking for uh, a year from now or less than a year from now, because hopefully he's not unsigned in March again. Would you give a 31-year-old fielder a $4 million, I mean, a four-year deal? Uh, no, something, uh, you know, two with an option or three, something like that. You know, I would have guessed he would have gotten something bigger than one for 13 with an option, but that's just me. And how do you think he'll pan out in Milwaukee with Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich sharing the same outfield? Yeah, it's star-studded all of a sudden. You know, I think they're going to mix and match. File that under good problems to have, you know. I mean, really, that's, that's – uh, 
it's going to be crazy to not think of him as a starting everyday center fielder, which he has been for, you know, 10 years. Um, but you know, that's, that's, uh, the market he found himself in. And, and it was kind of a musical chairs type thing where, you know, Springer goes to the blue Jays, Jock Peterson and, and Marisnik ended up going to the Cubs, Pilar and Almora go to the Mets, uh, the Red Sox, you know, filled the holes like I talked about. And, you know, there wasn't a spot left for him and, uh, it wasn't a natural fit. So he had to get, they had to, both sides had to get a little creative there. Moving on to your ninth prediction, uh, Red Sox make a surprising cut by June 1, 1st. I believe in your column you mentioned like Renfro or Cordero. Is there anyone else you had in mind? Yeah, I mean, there. It's it's more of a you know I guess a surprising cut. If I was to, it's kind of disingenuous to predict names because then it won't be surprising what happens. But I mean, you know, think back to Hanley Ramirez getting DFA'd in, in May of of 2018. It was like two days before I started on the beat, so the Hanley era ended and, and mine started, which was I remember kind of the fallout of that, and I never ever met the guy. But, you know, I think that there's a lot of depth and, you know, if Durant's pushing for a spot, no field is going to have to go. Or if Houck is pushing for a spot, you know, maybe some reliever gets lopped off. You know, the Red Sox, kind of all the deals that they made and all the guys they brought in, they have the flexibility where they can cut them and it's not going to cost them much if they do so in the middle of this year. And if they pan out, they can bring them back for at least 2022, you know, like, Andres is a low guarantee, but they have the team option. Renfro is a low guarantee, but they can keep him if uh, because he's, you know, uh, arbitration eligible again. Kike is the only one where, you know, he's guaranteed, you know, 14 million. So it's a little bit different. Richards, same thing, option. If it doesn't work out, you know, you can cut bait and you don't have to pay that option or whatever. And so they have a lot of flexibility. If they don't work out, they can get rid of them. If they do work out, they can keep them. I think that's pretty, uh, pretty enticing for a lot of people. Yeah, that's what I liked about their offseason. I mean, I think people are kind of underrating that aspect of it because, like you said, Kike is the only one who signed a multi-year deal. And, yeah. But Jim Bowden was given the, the Red Sox offseason the same grade as he did the Rockies, so that didn't make much sense to me. Yeah, they're all they're all multi-year deals if they want them to be and one-year deals if they want them to be. So that's, that's great for a team. And, like, in the case of Renfro, it's three years if they want – if he's good. In the case of Franchi, it's, you know, three years if they want him to be. Like, there's you know, even the Ottavino trade. The Ottavino deal was the only time they acquired a player with who was only under contract for 21. And obviously, um, the attraction there was getting Frank German, who's, you know, going to be if he makes the majors under their control for six years. So, you know, I think that's that's uh, every move. It really did have the focus on the, the short term and the long term at the same time. All right, your final prediction, Heim Blue makes a significant June trade, setting an early tone for the trade deadline. And you cite what uh, the Rays did, have done before, and what Bloom even did last year. So yeah. I wonder if you could set, like, the blueprint for that this year. Yeah, I mean, he's the Rays always seem to like to make trades, you know, not just during the winter meetings and at the trade deadline, but, like, at the GM meetings and in June where they like, all right, we have an opportunity here and we're going to jump the market. And so I don't know if that was more of a Neander thing, a more of a, a Bloom thing, an organizational philosophy, whatever. Um, but they did that a lot. And, you know, these are buy sell type moves where, you know, I, I think a lot of the times when you look at some of these, some of the selling moves, the Red Sox made, you know, there, you see the prospect rankings don't increase that much. Like the, for example, the Mookie trade, Verdugo doesn't count in the prospect rankings. And then in the Phillies trade, Pavetta doesn't. And in the Benintendi trade, Franchi's not going to, you know, and like he's, 
you know, Pavetta and Franchi obviously aren't the same level as Verdugo. I'm not saying that, but it's clear that those are buy sell trades in which you know they're selling major league pieces, but they're getting guys who can contribute in the major leagues, you know, this year and the next couple of years. Um, and that's a focus. So this is not a long-term rebuild. So if he can find a way to do one of those things, if all of a sudden, you know, they have, you know, a crowded mix and all these guys are performing well and, and he can ship somebody out, you know, why not try? Um or if, if Chavis comes up for a couple of weeks because someone gets injured and hits the cover off the ball, flip him. That wouldn't be a shocking one, but you know, I just think he'll be active. You know, this, this is not the uh, set it and wait until July type of guy. Like, you know, Dombrowski usually was though. I guess Steve Pierce was a June trade too, but you know, I think they'll be kind of looking at looking for any opportunity they can find to augment the roster and, and shake things up. Do you think the Red Sox and Phillies will make a trade more significant than CJ Chatham while Dombrowski and Bloom are where they are now? We'll see. Uh, you know, maybe uh, Bloom can cap- capitalize on Dombrowski's penchant for making uh, winning moves and making moves as a buyer. So I don't know. It's not like there's a, if the Red Sox and Yankees can make a trade, the Red Sox and Phillies can for sure. All right. Last question for me. This is something I've thought since Alex Cora came back, mm-hmm. but uh, with the Puerto Rico connections, I feel like I have to link the Red Sox to every big upcoming Puerto Rican free agent like Javi Baez and yeah. uh, Francisco Lindor. Is that kind of um, wrong of me to do, or is there any realistic possibilities there? Uh, it all depends on, you know, Bogarts at this point. I think he, he's pretty much locked in. We have that, that opt-out um, is there, but Bogarts is a full trade, no full no trade clause right now, which a lot of people don't realize, but he does. Uh, that kicked in last year, so it's not like they're going to trade him. He's a guy they want to keep around. So um, unless one of those guys, the market falls out and they want to play second base, it's going to be, I would say it's an upset uh, for sure. But you never know. You know, the Red Sox, they, they definitely don't need infielders at this point. You know, at least in 2022, they're still going to have, you know, Dahlbeck, Devers, uh, Bogarts, Kike on the roster, Casas coming up, Jeter Downs is going to be ready. I think they're they're pretty well set in that area. So, but but you never know. Might, next year, it does look like the time where they're going to add a big free agent and, you want to spend, you're going to do it on a shortstop in next year's market. Carlos Correa, too. Yeah. Yep. All right. Chris Cotillo, thank you very much. Uh, you can follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Cotillo. Read his stuff at masslive.com slash Red Sox. Chris, thank you again. Anytime. Appreciate it, Brandon. Keep up the good work. Thank you.